always love you But long as there are stars above you You never need to doubt it I'll make you so sure about it Hi, my name is Marie White, and I'd like to welcome you back to the White Bikini. And joining me today is my co-host, Nicholas Banton. How are you, Nicholas? I'm doing great, Marie. It's good to be back. Today is Wednesday, December 7th, 2022. And today we are going to, in honor of the holiday, what are we, three weeks out? Approximately, yes. We did a rewatch of Love Actually at 20 Years, and is love still all around? I love this movie. Why do you love this movie? When I started watching it, I really started to wonder when is the last time I watched it? And it's been a hot minute. But I was struck right away at the beginning when he, people were hugging each other at the airport. I love Hugh Grant. I was all in like a 10-year-old girl. So it carries for you very specific sentimental values. We're going to discuss two things. Does it hold up from a racial perspective? Which okay. we already know the answer is no. And does it hold up in the message and I'm already saying I'm 100% in. Love is still all around. Yeah, and I think those are two very distinct topics of discussion. I think in terms of the evolution of racial inclusiveness, that's an ongoing process. And I think 20 years from now, generations are going to look back on us as though we are savage. But I think they're overlying human theme, the theme that transcends race and gender and sex. I think those themes will always be relevant to the human experience. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. And the director has stated, though I think he might have been forced to, that he is embarrassed at the lack of diversity. But looking back, there was a biracial marriage. So that's kind of a big deal even for, you know, 2002. Yeah. And listen, we have to realize that most of the dramatic changes that we see in society, at least for people who were born before the early 1990s, these the changes that have taken place, especially in the United States, have really taken place in the last like 10 years. Agreed. It seems like we got the smartphone, we got the iPhone in 2007, then we got gay marriage, we got Barack Obama, and we have that we got this more expansive sense of inclusiveness, like who gets to who gets a seat at the table. And certainly with the protections granted by the United States Supreme Court around gay marriage, gay adoption, and an even more expansive view when it comes to transgender rights and freedoms, these are all very recent phenomena. And I think even though I am critical of the representation of people of color and people who are members of the LGBTQ community, we have to understand that it, it's 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 difficult to judge the past against the achievements of the present. Does that sound reasonable or unreasonable to you? No, I 100% agree. And the director, Richard Curtis, he's been quoted as saying on the Diane Sawyer show, Love and Laughter, Secrets of Love, actually 20 years later, he's been quoted as saying, there are things that you would change, but thank God society is changing. My film is is bound in some moments to feel out of date. The lack of diversity makes me feel uncomfortable and a bit stupid. But he did add, there is such extraordinary love that goes on every minute in so many ways all around the world. It makes me wish my film was better. And you know what? I, I take it to heart and I take it that he's being sincere, but I still think it's a bit unreasonable because the world, there was a, a consciousness, there was a larger social consciousness in terms of what was appropriate and what was acceptable 
acceptable and whether or not white people would go see movies. I mean, we're talking about 20 years ago. So we're living in a world where in the United States in particular, where white people, and let's be specific, not just white people, conservative white people are shrinking in terms of their politics and in terms of their raw demographic numbers. And the idea of preserving ideas such as what does a normal family look like? What does a normal relationship look like? The idea that you would have representations of many different people of different colors and races. I mean, like you watch TV nowadays and like, I don't know if there's a commercial where there isn't some sort of diversity reflected, whether as in, in terms of couple, in terms of racial diversity. Um, you know, I, I think it was like a, a jewelry commercial that had representations of gay couples getting married and presenting each other with gay rings which was like unfathomable at the time this movie was made so i'll give you an example there's a video i watched and it was one of those things that popped up in my youtube stream and it was a an uncensored and censored version of fantasia and there are generations of people young people specifically who will never know that there is a scene um with the centaurs where there is a little black slave centaur girl that's attending to one of the you know the lead centaur representation in the movie because they just removed her physically from the film because when Fantasia was released representing Pete black people with oversized lips large eyes and you know wild looking hair that was perfectly reasonable in the minds and sentiments of a wider white audience and black people had no say about it and I think in some ways that's the way we have to see the world we have to be honest about what it was like in order to appreciate how far we've come would you agree or disagree no I agree and I I, I did go in understanding everything that should have and could have been different but I wanted to go in with optimism because I feel that's the only way to live and I know that sounds corny and I am not a corny person when it comes to these bigger issues yes it's you know it perhaps it's a false dichotomy but it's all, it's either optimism or cynicism and one of them is going to lie and make you a bitter miserable person the other person the other perspective gives you at least hope for your potential for change and growth and I had an epiphany the other day and we might have talked about this over the years I think it takes us it's a stronger person that lives optimistically yes cynicism is easy yeah and I don't find myself a cynic I do find myself a realist but the other day I, and maybe it's because it's around the holidays I get very sentimental and I just thought you know it's, it's it's a stronger person that lives optimistically. And I really wanted to go in with love, actually. I just jumped in and I was like, this is great. This is exactly what I needed today. And I do believe love is all around. You know why? Because I have to. I think many people would share that sentiment. Um, if not for optimism, if not for realism, as you stated, then they would be consumed by the world that's around them. They'd be consumed by all the negativity that surrounds them. And life is a struggle. You know? Life is a struggle between surviving, not surviving. And I think one of the coping strategies that is perhaps most beneficial, at least psychologically, is to embrace a more, a non-cynical life. And I think for me personally, and we've discussed this, the pandemic really set me back. Right, right. I mean, it, it took its toll on society as a whole. But I think it took its toll on a very specific person, and I am definitely one of them. And I kind of accept now that it's probably
probably not going to go back to normal. It's a new normal. It's a new normal, but I'm trying to be as optimistic in my enclosed world and find joy in the small moments that I can. I'd agree with that. And I think that is a roadmap for many of us going forward, this thing called life. I mean, today when I got up, they're talking about masking again. Yeah, that's where we are. And I thought... But I, I think we're at a place now when it comes to COVID specifically, I think people are just going to just die. I think the people who taken this thing seriously and have regard for other people have done everything that they can. And I think to ask them to do more, I don't know if you could make that happen. I mean, look what's happening in China. That's one of the most repressive governments in the world and Chinese are saying to themselves, we can't people do more. That's what that's that's how far we've come. Can't, they can't even get their own citizens to more because people are rebelling. And I think right now, even though, listen, I understand the topics about the movie, but ultimately it's about life, more broadly speaking. And there's a limit to what people can take. Yeah, and as I said, for me, when I turned on the movie, I, I know it's 2022, but you know what? For about an hour and a half, I really got absorbed with the characters and where I was at that time in my life. And I really enjoyed it. Did you enjoy the movie? I think it's a sweet, sentimental movie. I, I think my sort of aesthetics wouldn't necessarily choose that movie as something that I'd um, necessarily watch over and over again. But in so far as it was recommended and it's part of our discussion, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Do you want to hear some fun facts? Let's have them. Olivia Olsen, who played Sam's crush, Joanna, she was too mature for her age, was such an incredible singer that the director had to edit her voice to make it sound more childlike. She was very mature. I'd agree. Absolutely. For a 10-year-old. Wow, that's how old she was? Jeez. But we all remember those 10-year-old girls from grade school, let's be honest. <laughs> the actor who played Colin Frissel, the guy that was determined to move to Wisconsin, he was great. And you know what? He was one person that I really loved his enthusiasm. He's like, I'm going to go. I'm getting me some American girls. His friend was begging him not to go. But I like that he was all in and didn't care if he crashed and burned. So is it some kind of like romantic recklessness? No, just he was going to find love. And I really admired that. He didn't care. He's like, I'll go, I'm just going to jump in and go figure it. But the funny part, he was not paid for the scene where he gets seduced by the three American girls. He returned his paycheck for the day because he had such a great time having three girls undress him for 21 takes that he was willing to do it for free. God bless his heart. It was just, come on, it was great. Didn't you love his enthusiasm? Well, my man was uh, my man was definitely not taking the struggle bus that day. <laughs> and Alan Rick Rickman's character with the wife, I they interviewed the director's wife, I think 10 years after it came out, and they made slight innuendos, but definitely the background was that Alan Rickman's character did have an affair with his secretary. Because they never really followed up on that. Did they have an affair? You're assuming they are when she says, you've made a fool out of me and my life, which I could definitely understand what that woman was saying. But it's definite that they did have an affair. What did you think about the secretary, the assistant? You know, I think within the context of the movie, like these are things that I wouldn't tolerate. It's weird. I, in one, on one hand, I, I absolutely uh, rage against puritanism. But like these movies kind of put these uh, behavior that I find a little bit unseemly and make it romantic and cute. Um, I don't know. I, I just I, I'm torn because I am basically the type of person that says, you know, don't take advantage of someone when there is a power dynamic. That is just an unhealthy thing to do. But within the within the, the framework of the movie, it seems sweet and romantic. And why the heck not, you know, 
go knock yourself out, you two wacky kids. And and that's the struggle for me. It's just like sometimes I can't suspend disbelief in order to give uh, the characters in the movie the latitude they need in order for me as an audience member to really enjoy it. Because like, I'm like, in reality, I think that would be a horrible thing to do. Am I being too serious? You? Never, Nick. <laughs> I loved her little like ears. The, I was all in with that character. And that says a lot about me. We'll move on. The character is sweet, but I think she the dynamic... She was not sweet. She was sweet. It's the dynamic that I had an issue with. She I was just, all over him. The character's name was Harry. She was I, all over. I get it. I get it. But I just think, listen, I think sometimes we look at these things and we, you know, and I guess ugh, I hate to go there, but like, you know, in the case of like a Harvey Weinstein, which is like an extraordinary, extreme example of some who's taking their power and leveraging it to his people. Um, but I, I think there's something we said though, just like, it's just not a good idea to take it take advantage of people that are in a subordinate position. I just don't, I don't, I, even if it's cute and adorable and she's all over it and she's serious, um, I just don't, I, I think sometimes you just draw a line in the sand and say it is what it is. You know what, I agree with you. You do, really? I do. He, I mean, because he's it's a movie. He's the senior person in that he's yes. agreed. I mean, like, listen, we, either we agree that there are certain sets of behaviors that are appropriate um, and then some that are inappropriate. But if we're going to do the thing where we say, well, this behavior is appropriate when the two people are cute or attractive or sweet or they seem to be really into each other, but it's inappropriate when the other person is like old or unattractive, then I think we are doing a disservice to our values. And I understand this sounds way heavier than like the simple confines of a movie, but like, you know, we go back to what the director is saying, you know, like viewing um, racial and sexual identity, you know, currently versus 20 years ago. I mean, if we're going to do that, we got to lean in all the way. Are you still talking? That, unfortunately, I am. I I, I checked out like three minutes. Well, I have ago. a feel. I have a feeling the audience probably checked out about fifteen minutes ago. <laughs> the opening scenes in the airport, none of them were actors. They were all real people reuniting with their loved ones at airports. So yes, Nicholas, love actually is all around. All right, all right, Charlie Brown. You are named for the month. The very sneaky reason why Colin first character was named Jamie. The director's brother's name was Jamie, and he wanted the kids to yell in the movie we hate uncle jamie i thought that part was hysterical yeah that was funny that was funny. you know it's a great cast I, I don't even think we even talked about it yet but that was a phenomenal cast Everyone um, in that movie was almost perfectly cast. The, the 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 characterizations, the character development, it was a it was a great cast. And and I think if you want to feel sentimental, especially this time of year, I think it's it is an absolutely fabulous movie to watch. I think if you can suspend your disbelief, ignore sort of the lack of uh, social consciousness or so social awakening that we uh, currently have in our society, you can appreciate for what it is. Like I said, I can go back and watch Fantasia, the uncensored version, and go. Yeah, that's a little cringeworthy, but you know what? It's beautiful, and if anything, it gives me an appreciation for the struggle. Hugh Grant really did not want to do that dance routine. Contrary to how pleased his character looked while dancing to Jump For My Love, Grant allegedly tried to put off filming the scene for as long as possible because he absolutely hated the ideal of it and did not want to do it and refused to rehearse it. Totally guys, it. Hugh Grant is a stuffy guy. I imagine he probably thought he would make him look silly. I think it was so I hate that strong word. I dislike when Hugh Grant puts work down that people really enjoy because I 
think like he makes us look stupid. I think, I hate to sound so sort of chauvinistic about it, but I, it seems like it's a bit of a British, you know, for instance, Tim Curry absolutely hated his, his portrayal of Dr. Frankenfurter, Rocky Horror Picture. And I know you're not a fan of it, but from a purely, um, I don't know, thespian perspective. It was a phenomenal stretch in performance, I thought Tim Curry did, you know, to put on drag and just completely lean into the role. And he was embarrassed. And I, I think it took years of, you know, Rocky Horror fans coming out and saying, hey, thank you, what did, you know, especially for members of like, perhaps, you know, you know, gender minority groups that felt like, you know, in some ways it was a, it was an empowering representation of their community. But I, I think there's something very British about it, that they disdain feeling, they disdain the idea that uh, certain roles, certain scenes are just going to make them look silly. And I think that's that's Grant's uh, perspective. Yeah, and they said that he, you know, so 20 years ago, who, who Grant is 62, so he was 42 when this movie was made. Mm -hmm. And he was still like, you know, he was still, Hugh Grant was a big deal. Uh, in the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, up until his scandal, Hugh Grant was a was a leading man. He was a big deal. Hugh yeah. Grant happened to be dating. Uh, was he ever married to Elizabeth Hurley or were they just dating? They were dating. It's funny, I, I'm jumping the subject here, but I heard an interview with her. She's fascinating. And she was just speaking about their history together. And this was really, Love Actually is Hugh Grant's heyday. And they said that he... I've read interviews with him and, you know, the director said to him, he goes, Hugh, do not tell me you do not know how to dance. And Hugh really kind of went back to his like clubbing days on how to dance because he really, it's hard to imagine now, but for about 10 years, if not a little longer, he was a huge star. Absolutely. Hugh Grant was a very big deal. Um, Hugh Grant, if you wanted a, if you wanted to add a little bit of class to a movie, you brought in Hugh Grant as your leading man. And he had that, he, he was almost like a, a more attractive slightly more um, grounded version of like a Woody Allen because like he could do the comedy and he could play the you know sort of the off-color roles but he could also play the straight man um, he was interesting he was very interesting I, I think you know he would, he would definitely he definitely fit a niche in the 1990s but I guess I'm such a big fan of a lot of his movies and when he comes out and says he thinks they are all stupid it kind of makes you yeah. feel stupid yes and, and and i think that's a slap in the face and i think that's why i brought up that tim curry reference with rocky horror because he he was absolutely ashamed of the role and i i don't know where that comes from uh, maybe he fancied himself more of a straight man leading actor type role like almost like a james bond type of actor uh, a james bond type of role but that wasn't hugh grant hugh grant was a little you know he had that quirkiness going to him so I don't know I mean the ro those roles made him a star and I think for him to poo-poo them seems a little bit uh, grateful. Do you think Hugh Grant has BDE? No I think what he has he has quirky energy and, and I think that's different from BDE. Uh, I don't get the sense that I don't think women would necessarily have this sort of presupposition that when they get into bed with Hugh Grant Grant is absolutely just going to slay them. I think Hugh Grant is just that guy that you go cuddle with and you grab a glass of wine and and he's just charming as you laugh and funny and you have like Victorian sex <laughs> like you're watching Masterpiece Theater I mean you know he, the he, light go ahead no go on I was gonna say the light fades to the you know the scene fades to dark and you wake up wearing like a night he has five children 
with three different women? Like, and he had them in his 50s. I think that's more of the legacy of the role. He's an attractive guy. He's cute. He's a good looking guy, but I don't, he's not the BDE. He's not, you know, we just wrapped up talking about Pete Davidson on our last podcast. He's not Pete Davidson. Um, he's he's a little bit more conventional for BDE. I think he's just more like a, um, he's, he's more in the vein of a um, Jude Law type actor. Yeah, agreed. Jude Law, so. Jude Law doesn't have BDE either. Yeah, exactly. He's more of like a, you you know, a Jude Law type of actor than he is a Pete Davidson or John Malkovich. And I think that's why he has, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, there's, maybe there's something about British men of a certain age. Look at Boris Johnson. What about him? Boris Johnson has, it's the same thing. He was a former Br uh, British prime minister uh, with that weird sort of mumbly, goofy. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Awkward way of talking, but he has like five, six or seven kids, something like that with like three or four different women. So maybe it's a very British thing to do. I mean, when you think about the monarchy, for instance, that's just par for the course. <laughs> Those kids just be, would just be considered bastard children. Andrew Lincoln wrote all of his own signs for the scene where he, his character professes his love to Juliet, which is a perfect name for this movie, otherwise known as Kira Knightley. Mm -hmm. he, he's been quoted as saying, it's funny because the art department did it. And then I said, well, can I do it? Because he really felt he had good handwriting. He said with an interview in with Entertainment Weekly. And I, I love the part where he went and held up all the cards and told her how he was feeling and then when he walked away he said enough that's enough now and I really like that I like that he's like I'm done and I was happy for his character that he was evolving past that I thought my impression of that it was it was a great scene it, it, to me it's like the only scene like quintessential scene where um, I think the protagonist perhaps has a more classic expression of love is like John Cusack uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the movie say anything say anything yes that's that's when I saw that for the first time I was like, wow, this this scene is going to go down as one of those moments uh, where it's going to establish uh, a paradigm, just like John Cusack did. It was a great scene. It was a great scene. And I, I didn't know that he had written the lines himself. And I think it goes back to the theme that I think is, has been woven through all our podcasts is that whenever there's allowance or an expression of authenticity, it seems to make it better. Thomas Brody Sangster learned how to play drums for the film. Just like his character, Sam, in the Game of Thrones, the actor had no idea how to play the drums it ended up learning with some help from his dad and he still plays to this day. He was adorable. Everything. Everything was adorable <laughs> about that movie. And I think it's a great escape movie. I think, you know, especially this time of year, especially when you get a chance to get together with friends and family, loved ones, people you haven't seen in a long time, and you're stuck in the great indoors because the weather is awful. This is a great photo. The word actually is said 23 times throughout the film. Neat piece of trivia. And it wasn't originally meant to be a Christmas movie. The director has been quoted as saying he was so surprised and delighted by the love actually thing because when he first started the movie it wasn't set at Christmas and then he decided to set it at Christmas but he didn't think it was going to turn into a legacy movie just like many people do whether it's sense and sensibility you know you I guess from a viewer standpoint the movie's a big deal but you know for the directors it's just a gig for them they're, yeah, you never, they're mercenaries exactly and you never know how these things are going to be received by the audience. I mean, some of these actors, some of these directors go in thinking that they're going to be, make the next Citizen Kane and, you know, the movies get laughed out of theaters and sometimes they go in thinking, hey, this is a lark. This is a fun little, this is a paycheck, you know, like good old Bruce Willis, you know, to so do all those movies and you're like, how did he do it? <laughs> Why is he doing this movie? Um, yeah, it just, 
Every once in a while, you catch lightning in a bottle. And I think what was great about the movie, I can't say that it was one thing. It was a phenomenal cast. It was, they happened to catch some of the best British actors um, at the right time in their careers and the right time and that the right age. You know, if you think back to Kira Knightley was, I think, what, just a few years that she'd become a star at that point. Maybe that movie may have like actually catapulted her into stardom. I mean, what was she, probably 20? She was very young at that point. And Alec Rickman. Uh, he was, was in seasoned, his 50s. Seasoned actor, you know, had done a lot of work. And we got to see a different side of him. Hugh Grant was, that was perhaps the peak of his stardom. Maybe it wasn't too long after that that, you know, got into trouble. Things just kind of fell apart around him. I thought he, I thought he got in trouble in the 90s. Was it after? Yeah, I think, I want to look that up because I... Okay, if, if you can if you can just fact check me on that. But for whatever reason, I, I was always under the impression that he got into trouble after that movie was released but I could just have a misremembrance of, of the chronology but I just think it was a it was it's almost like uh, Cheers or Friends or Seinfeld it just happened to be the perfect cast with a unique script I think if you brought in any other group of actors to portray those roles and deliver those lines it just wouldn't have worked in the same way and it was it was a lightning in a bottle experience for me 1995 that's when he got in trouble yeah Okay, so he actually was, the fact that he was able to salvage his career after that kind of scandal, pretty, pretty unique. And I mean, like, and I think he was perfect for the role. But I do agree that after this movie, not because of anything Hugh Grant was doing, but the mid 2000s are when kind of a different generation was starting to take over. And also- 2000, 2001, excuse me. Romantic, I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say September 11, 2001, just really just put a, a sour taste everyone's heart and everyone's mouth for a long time. But I, I also think that like my era of generation of men were kind of getting into their 40s now. And in, in Hugh Grant's defense, you can't play that romantic lead much longer and that's what happened to him. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. And I mean, granted, I think the men have a longer shelf life than the women, but yeah, I'd agree. Hugh Grant, and you know what? Hugh Grant didn't want to. He just felt that he was aging out of it and he never kind of grasped those. He's not a Brad Pitt and I think he knows it. Mm -hmm. There's only one Brad Pitt. Everything goes back to Brad, doesn't it? It sounds I don't think a podcast goes by where I don't mention Brad Pitt. Uh, have you spoken to someone about this? <laughs> have you scheduled your appointment for your haircut for Santa's visit, Nicholas? Yes, I have. When is it? Are you going with Ashley? Yay! I'm going to look fabulous. Can you handle it? I can. Please book your holiday haircut at Westchester's Premier Barber Shop, the shop on Market Street. It's Westchester's Premier Barber Shop providing the freshest cuts and the biggest smiles. And Nick, do you know what their hashtag is? Remind. Girl Barber's Rule. They certainly do. Their address is 134 East Market Street, Westchester, Pennsylvania. You can follow and book the appointments on Instagram at the shop on Market Street. And you can also go to their website, www.theshopwc.com slash bluebeards. Nick, you promised you were going to make an appointment before the new year. And I did. And I'm going fabulous and eat your heart out. Please remember that Santa's watching. Santa's always watching. So we have decided that love actually did not hold up in terms of by biracial relationships there was one but there was no LGBT community it really wasn't open to all ethnicities and sexual orientation and the, and out of fairness to the showrunner and the director our society wasn't open up to those communities in the way that today I, as 
I've said at the beginning, this is a recent phenomenon. This is a recent phenomenon in Western societies, which we have a more inclusive idea as to who and how uh, people who are racial or sexual groups are represented in media. This is a recent phenomenon. So I think insofar as they made the attempt, I think we just got to celebrate that that effort and just ap appreciate the movie for what it was or for what it is. It was a moment in time. And uh, even though I am extremely, you know, pro-feminist, I'm very progressive in my politics, I can appreciate like, you know, I make the comparison several times to Fantasia. Um, I can appreciate Fantasia, even though it has this the hideous representation of African-Americans in the film. I can appreciate Love Actually for what it was and most importantly for when it was and recognize, you know, the growth that has taken place in society since that. So Nick, the big question is love still all around? I think so. I think so. I, th I think it's sometimes a little bit difficult to find, but I really do think that that most people would want to live in a in a community filled with love and happiness and optimism rather than one filled with hatred and darkness. And so love actually will always have a place in our heart. Look at Nick being an optimist. There you go. I've been practicing. Thank you for joining us today on The White Bikini. Please remember to, to subscribe to The White Bikini on all plot podcast platforms and please follow us on Instagram at the white bikini and thank you for joining us today.